Welcome back to The Law. I am DK Williams, and this is episode 43, and we're going to discuss a case involving F-U-C-T. That's the name of a company. It's not read like a word. According to the case, each letter is said independently. F-U-C-T. The case name is Yansu versus Brunetti. This was a recent Supreme Court case from this term, just decided one month ago exactly, June 24th. And the Supreme Court discussed the Lanham Act, which includes the rules surrounding trademarks. And they said the government cannot ban trademarks because they are immoral or scandalous, because that's a violation of the First Amendment, free speech. Eric Brunetti owns the F-U-C-T clothing line, apparel line, and he could not be stopped from registering the trademark F-U-C-T. The court has some interesting ways of dealing with that uh, company name. So this case, new case, important to keep abreast of what's going on, involves the First Amendment, Constitution, and dirty words. What more could you ask for? As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com and look for some upcoming collaborations with speakeasyideas.com. Go check them out on their website, BinkEasyIdeas.com, and I will let you know more details as they become available very soon. And remember, follow me personally on social media, Twitter at BlueCarp, and on Facebook.com slash BlueCarp. I'd love to hear from you. Check out the Facebook page for this podcast, The Law with D.K. Williams. Rate it. Give a review. If you are so inclined, that would be great. The more we get, the more publicity we get as well. And you can donate at paypal.me slash the law DK Williams. And wherever you're listening, like, comment, subscribe, you know, do all that stuff to help us get the word out and spread this podcast around the world, or at least your neighborhood. Who are the named participants? We mentioned Eric Brunetti. He owns the clothing brand he named F-U-C-T. You can picture how one might read those four letters and say them. Now, and apparently this clothing company is, is a huge deal. I had no idea until I started looking into this and reading this case. According to Wikipedia, Dave Grohl, who was in Nirvana and is now the lead guy with the Foo Fighters, and Zach De La Rocha from uh, Rage Against the Machine, and among a bunch of other cutting-edge hit people like that, have been photographed wearing F-U-C-T apparel. So you can see why they would want to trademark this. The name defendant is Andre Yansu, and that last name is spelled I-A. N-C-U, but apparently it's pronounced Yansu, and I got that pronunciation because I listened to the beginning of the oral arguments of this case that they held before the Supreme Court, and I always give you the site for these cases on the OES.com website. They list not only the, the opinions, so you can read them yourself, which you know I always encourage you to do. That's the entire point of these podcasts, is to get you interested enough to read the ones that you care about. I give you my view of them, kind of an overview of them, give you my analysis, my input on them, but to really know what's in them, read them yourself. And also on that OES site, which is OYEZ.com, they've got the audio recording of the actual oral arguments. They're cool to listen to if you ever want to do that. So listening to the beginning of it, I didn't listen to all the oral arguments, but when they introduced it, it appeared to me they pronounced that last name as Yansu. And he is listed, He's his name is on the case because he is the head of the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So this case deals with a trademark and his name is on the case. And just by way of information, he was appointed by Donald Trump. He has been a intellectual property lawyer. All right, this is the Supreme Court tally in this one. It was 9-0 unanimous in favor of Bernetti and F-U-C-T on the grounds that a trademark could not be 
denied because it is immoral. And he won six to three on the grounds that it could not be denied on the grounds it was scandalous. So those are the two things that the Lanham Act says are reasons to deny a trademark if the mark is immoral or scandalous. Supreme Court said, you can't do that. That's a violation of free speech. And we'll talk about it. So Brunetti won. And that part of the Lanham Act has been overturned by the Supreme Court because it's against the First Amendment. Justice Elena Kagan wrote the opinion for the court. Thomas Ginsburg, Alito, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh joined in the majority opinion. The three people that dissented, they concurred and dissented because they all agreed about the immoral bar was unconstitutional. But three of them, including Sotomayor, who wrote the concurring and dissenting opinion, or she wrote one of, one of them. She was joined by Breyer and also Roberts concurred and dissented as well. But so those three were not willing to overturn that part of the Lanham Act that barred scandalous marks. But they're in the majority, so they lose. How did we get here? What are the facts? Eric Brunetti owns the clothing brand, right? F-U-C-T. It was founded this in 1990, but for some reason they didn't file a trademark application on this until 2011. And now, eight years later, it has worked its way up to the Supreme Court. Brunetti filed the intent to use application. That's the one of the first steps you do when you want to get the official registration with the Patent and Trademark Office, which is PTO for short. So he wanted to register the mark F-U-C-T. And this isn't mentioned in the Supreme Court case, but according to Wikipedia, F-U-C-T stands for Friends You Can't Trust. And there's more info in the company on Wikipedia than on their official site, which doesn't seem good to me. And I'm linking to both the official site, which is F-U-C-T.com, and their Wikipedia page, which has got a lot more information than their official site. And according to Wikipedia, this F-U-C-T, and I probably, I imagine most people actually say it, but it has been referred to as one of the pioneering brands of modern streetwear, often incorporating various elements and icons of pop culture alongside anti-government and anti-religious campaigns into their designs including the use of parodied logos. Sounds like a pretty good marketing campaign to me if you want to be uh, cutting edge modern streetwear. And the official F-U-C-T website is very minimal. And as of right now, it says the shop is closed on the website as of right now, July 24th. I was thinking the Supreme Court case was a ton of free publicity and a great opportunity for them to sell a lot more stuff, but they're certainly not taking advantage of it on their website right now. But I'm not a marketing genius. Apparently Brunetti is. So when they first file the application to get this officially registered, the examining attorney, which is the person who looks at it first in the PTO, the Patent and Trademark Office, refused to register it because that's what the Lanham Act said. You can't officially recognize and register a trademark that com is comprised of immoral or scandalous matter. And the court discusses how registration gives you some benefits, but you don't need official registration with the federal government, the PTO for your trademark to be enforceable, but you do get extra, it makes it easier in, in essence, if it's officially registered. So we lost at the initial process of this, of getting a registration, went up to the, the trademark trial and appeal board, which affirmed the lower level decision to refuse to register the mark. Then the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit said that they were right in applying the Lanham Act, that sure, these, the F-U-C-T mark would be scandalous or immoral, but that that ban the statutory ban was an unconstitutional restriction of free speech. So that was the Court of Appeals level and the U.S. Supreme Court upheld that and tossed out that section of the Lanham Act. And on the legal analysis, the first thing the court does, again with Kagan writing the opinion, is refer back to a similar trademark case just decided two years ago, 2017. That case was Maytal 
versus TAM. In that case, there was a similar provision in the Lanham Act that said you could not register a mark that was disparaging. So in 2017, the Supreme Court dealt with the disparaging ban and said that that was an unconstitutional restriction of free speech. But this case deals with the ban on immoral or scandalous marks. You can They're, they're not the same thing, right? Disparaging is insulting somebody. Um, immoral and scandalous means different things. So since the Supreme Court had already said the government cannot refuse to register disparaging marks, you can see how they could, and they did apply that same reasoning to immoral or scandalous marks. And what was disparaging? The disparaging trademark in the Maytal case? Of course you would ask that. In Maytal, it was a band comprised, a, a musical band, like a rock band. I assume they were a rock band. Comprised of Asian American musicians. And they wanted to trademark their band name, which was, and I probably still is, The Slants. The trademark people said that was a racial epithet and therefore disparaging, and they could not get official registration of that. The band said it was also really a reference to their slanted perspective, and they wanted to take back and own the offensive term. Supreme Court agreed with the band, the slants, and said that they can register that name because that bar in registering a disparaging mark violation of free speech. So they apply the same rationale here to F-U-C-T clothing. The way Kagan writes about the name of the clothing brand is is amusing for a Supreme Court opinion. She writes, Respondent Eric Brunetti is an artist, an entrepreneur, who founded a clothing line that uses the trademark F-U-C-T. According to Brunetti, the mark, which functions as the clothing's brand name, is pronounced as four letters, one after the other, F-U-C-T. But you might read it differently, and if so, you would hardly be alone. Describing the brand name as the equivalent of the past participle form of a well-known word of profanity... That common perception of reading it caused difficulties for Brunetti when he tried to register his mark with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the PTO. So that's as, as amusing as Supreme Court opinions usually get. And then a little background on trademarks. Under the Lanham Act, and this is in the Supreme Court case, the PTO, Patent and Trademark Office, administers a federal registration system for trademarks. Like we mentioned, registration of a mark is not mandatory. The owner of an unregistered mark may still use it in commerce and enforce it against infringers. But registration gives the trademark owner valuable benefits. For example, registration constitutes prima facie evidence of the mark's validity. Because if you don't have the registration, this is just me adding this into it, then you've got to prove that in court. It's registered, you don't have to prove that. And registration serves as constructive notice of the registrant's claim of ownership because people can go look it up and go, hmm, I wonder if this is registered, and they can go look it up and see it. And that forecloses some defenses in infringement actions. Generally, a trademark is eligible for registration and receipt of such benefits if it is used in commerce. That's a requirement. You can't just try to trademark something that isn't being used. Kagan goes on, but the Act, the Lanham Act, directs the PTO to refuse registration of certain marks. For instance, the PTO cannot register a mark that resembles another mark as to create a likelihood of confusion. So you can't go out and start a new soft drink and name it Coca-Cola. Can't do that. You cannot register a mark that is merely descriptive of the goods on which it is used. You can't register a mark containing a flag or insignia of any nation or state. And there are five or ten more depending on how you count according to Kagan. So there are limits in the statute about what you about marks you cannot officially register. In addition to the former ban on disparaging marks and the former ban on scandalous and immoral marks that they toss out in this case. And before I forget, you might be familiar with the controversy surrounding the nickname of the NFL team in Washington, D.C. They're known as the Redskins. Prior to this Slants case, they had their official registration attacked, successfully attacked, as the Redskins was 
it was contended that Redskins was disparaging and it was their, their registration was tossed out for a couple of years. But then when the Slants case came along, that was right on point and in the Redskins favor. And that issue was now put to bed. So back to Kagan's opinion. She says, this case involves another of the Lanham Act's prohibitions on registration, one applying to marks that consist of or comprise immoral or scandalous matter. Those are magic words. She says, to determine whether a mark fits in the category, the PTO, ask whether a substantial composite of the general public would find the mark shocking to the sense of truth, decency, or propriety, giving offense to the conscious or moral feelings. Calling out for condemnation, disgraceful, offensive, disreputable, or vulgar. The PTO examining attorney determined that F-U-C-T was a total vulgar, in quotes, and therefore unregisterable. On review, the higher board stated that the mark was highly offensive and vulgar and that it had decidedly negative sexual connotations. Negative? Anyway. The review board checked out Brunetti's website, which must have been different back then because right now there's almost nothing on it. And they looked at the website and the products, the apparel he was selling. They found that it contained imagery near the mark of extreme nihilism and antisocial behavior. In that context, the board thought the mark communicated misogyny, depravity, and violence. The board concluded whether one considers the mark as a sexual term or finds that Brunetti has used the mark in the context of extreme misogyny, nihilism, or violence. We have no question, but that the term is extremely offensive. Brunetti's a pretty good marketer, sounds like. Good strategy here. So, an issue in the TAM case involving the slants was if the trademark bar was a condition of government benefit, the registration of the trademark, or a restriction on speech. And this is an important distinction, because think about it. Not giving trademark protection to a mark is different than punishing speech, right? So you can't, these people aren't going to be put in jail for naming their band the slants or naming their clothing line F-U-C-T. So they're not being punished for their speech, which is a clear violation of the First Amendment. They're being denied, if the statute is upheld, they're being denied government protection of their speech, their mark. So that's an important distinction, and it, and it plays out in these Supreme Court cases. Some of the justices look at it differently, but the end result is essentially the same in these cases. And remember that trademarks is an actual enumerated power given to Congress in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8. And I kind of hesitate on that, but and this is why. The provision that is enumerated, giving Congress authority, says, Congress has the authority, quote, to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. Okay, that's one of the enumerated powers. Reading that to me, that clearly covers patents of inventions, right? And copyrights of, say, a novel or a movie script. But trademarks are different than those things. And, and I have not researched this, but it just came to me while I was researching this case. So a trademark isn't a novel. It's not a script to a movie. But if the constitutional authority is given to authors... Is a trademark, I guess it is, a trademark is something someone has written. I guess that's the rationale behind it. But I will look into that more and see what I can come up with. So it must fall under the authority to allow the exclusive right to an author's writing. Most trademarks, of course, are owned by companies, which takes us back to the argument that corporations don't have rights, but they can certainly register a trademark, and that's a statutory provision. And we dealt with that issue about corporations and rights and how that is an improper framing of the issue. Dealt with that in the Citizens United discussion we went, undertook in episode two. So go check that out for more details on that. And unlike copyrights and patents, trademark rights can last indefinitely as long as the owner of the trademark continues to use the mark and the term of each mark 
is 10 years, but you can keep renewing it for 10 years forever. So Coca-Cola, you know, they've got a 10-year trademark and they just can keep renewing it every 10 years. So I guess that's a finite term. It's a 10-year term, which is finite, but it can be renewed forever. And the, and the Constitution gives makes the authority limited to a finite term. I guess that applies. And for reference, generally speaking, a copyright, like of a novel, lasts the life of the author plus 70 years. I'm not sure how long Hemingway's been dead, but if it's been 70 years, all his stuff is now in the public domain. If it hasn't been 70 years yet, it's not. And let me, let me make a caveat there, because this is a relatively new statute that gives the life of the author plus 70 years. So when Hemingway died, it, it was different, I'm sure. But any author alive now gets a copyright for the rest of his life plus 70 years. So his estate gets to make money off of it for almost another century. And that time period, purely a creation of Congress. Congress has the authority to change that protection at any time. And you can imagine how publishers and content creators might have some interest in lobbying for that time period to be as long as possible. And again, just by way of comparison, a U.S. utility patent, which is different than a design patent, and we're not going to get into that, but a utility patent is granted for 20 years from the date the patent application is filed. The design patent is generally granted protection for 14 years from the date the patent is granted. Again, these links are purely a creature of congressional statute, and those time periods can be changed. And the court, in this case about F-U-C-T, agrees that within this context that, quote, the government may not discriminate against speech based on the ideas or opinions it conveys. So Kagan goes on, the key question becomes, is the immoral or scandalous criterion in the Lanham Act viewpoint neutral or viewpoint based? She says it is viewpoint based. So the Lanham Act permits registration of marks that champion, as she says, society's sense of rectitude and morality but not marks that denigrate those concepts. So that is viewpoint-based. The court goes on, Kagan writes, so the Lanham Act allows registration of marks when their messages accord with, but not when their messages defy society's sense of decency or propriety. She goes on, put the pair of overlapping terms, immoral and scandalous, together, and the statute on its face distinguishes between two opposed sets of ideas, those aligned with conventional moral standards and those hostile to them those inducing societal nods of approval, and those provoking offense and condemnation. The statute favors the former and disfavors the latter. Love rules, always be good. Registration follows. Hate rules, always be cruel, not according to the Lanham Act's immoral or scandalous bar. So she's just contrasting love rules would be okay, hate rules would not. Always be good would be okay, always be cruel would not. So those are viewpoint restrictions. The Supreme Court decided that this distinction of immoral or scandalous is viewpoint-based and is viewpoint discriminatory and in, in violation of the First Amendment. Kagan goes on. Using those guideposts, the PTO has refused to register marks communicating immoral or scandalous views about, among other things, drug use, religion, and terrorism. But all the while, it has approved registration of marks expressing more accepted views on the same topics. And then she goes on and the Supreme Court gives examples of the contrast here and how the viewpoint is the difference. And you can do that under the First Amendment. Here are her examples, and I'm quoting. The PTO rejected marks conveying approval of drug use, including you can't spell healthcare without THC. That was the proposal mark that was denied. And they rejected marijuana cola. And they rejected cocaine for beverages. And that's K-O space K-A-N-E. So it's obviously the sound cocaine, but it's spelled differently. And it's spelled as, for some reason, two words. Cocaine with K's. That was going to be a beverage. And those were denied because it is scandalous to inappropriately glamorize drug abuse. 
That's what the PTO said. She goes on, but at the same time, the PTO registered marks with such things as dare to resist drugs and violence and say no to drugs. Reality is the best trip in life. So you can see the contrast. Same topics, but depending on whether one is promoting it or denigrating it, you get the registration or you don't, and you can't do that. She goes on, similarly, the PTO disapproved registration for the mark bong hits for Jesus because it suggests that people should engage in an illegal activity in connection with worship, and because Christians would be morally outraged by a statement that connects Jesus Christ with illegal drug use. So she's giving these examples, and she's quoting PTO decisions and why they've denied them. So she goes on, and the PTO refused to register trademarks associating religious references with products, including Agnes Dei, D-E-I, and that's Latin, involving God. So they could not trademark Agnes Dei, for safes, and Madonna for wine. So those were rejected because the PTO said they would be offensive to most individuals of the Christian faith and shocking the sense of propriety. So they're making some pretty big value judgments here, right? Kagan goes on, demonstrating this contrast. But once again, she says, the PTO approved marks, praise the Lord, for a game, and Jesus died for you on clothing, whose message suggested religious faith rather than blasphemy or irreverence. Finally, she notes, the PTO rejected marks reflecting support for Al-Qaeda. Somebody applied a mark, applied for a registration of the trademark Baby Al-Qaeda, which was denied, and Al-Qaeda on t-shirts. The PTOs denied it because they said, quote, because the bombing of civilians and of the terrorist acts are shocking to the sense of decency and call out for condemnation. I, I agree with that. It is shocking to a sense of decency to do that. But that's actually the point of the First Amendment. It doesn't matter if it violates a sense of decency. The First Amendment protects it. Now, who's going to buy those things? I don't know. I don't think very many people. So the market helps fight that offensiveness. But the Supreme Court rightfully protects it under the constitutional prohibition of restricting free speech. So by way of contrast, Gagan and the Supreme Court point out, yet the PTO approved registration of a mark with the words War on Terror Memorial. Of course, she says, all these decisions are understandable. The rejected marks express opinions that are, at the least, offensive to many Americans. But as the court made clear in TAM, that's the Slants case, a law disfavoring ideas that offend discriminate based on viewpoint in violation of the First Amendment. Now, the government tried to save this part of the Lanham Act by suggesting that immoral and scandalous bar on trademarks is okay if the court interprets it to only apply to, quote, this is the argument, if we only apply that to, quote, marks that are vulgar, meaning lewd, sexually explicit, or profane, such a reconfigured bar, the government says, would not turn on viewpoint, and so we could uphold it. But, Kagan writes, we cannot accept the government's proposal because the statute says something markedly different. Good for them. This is a good example of an appropriate statutory construction. The Supreme Court cannot rewrite a statute. Congress has the sole authority to do that. So props to the Supreme Court for actually doing what it is supposed to do in this case. Now, Justice Alito, in his concurrence, says that Congress could adopt a more carefully focused statute that would prohibit the registration of quote-unquote vulgar marks without violating the First Amendment. So he's saying Congress could do that, but the Supreme Court majority are saying, but they didn't do that. So they could, and Alito says that would be okay. Now, he's the only one saying that. The rest of them, or the majority of them, might agree with it or not. That's not the issue before them right now. The partial dissents, including Sotomayor, argued that the scandalous bar should be considered separately from the immoral bar. And they said the scandalous bar could be saved by a narrow construction, which is what the majority refused to do. So she wanted to give it a narrow construction on scandalous marks to address only obscenity, vulgarity, and profanity. But the majority didn't agree, so she loses on that point. So do Breyer and Roberts. The majority on this topic says, quoting, 
So even assuming the government's reading would eliminate First Amendment problems, we may adopt it only if we can see it in the statutory language. And we cannot. Now, the Supreme Court leaves open the question of what would happen if Congress actually amended the Lanham Act to prohibit registration of only vulgar marks, meaning lewd, sexually explicit, or profane, which is what Alito said would work, but that's not what the court dealt with. They're not what the majority dealt with, because that's not what's in front of them. So the majority says we aren't going to rewrite the statute. If Congress were to do so, maybe we would uphold it, maybe we would not. Alito says they would. The court continues, once the immoral or scandalous bar is interpreted fairly, it must be invalidated. And this is the money shot right here. Gagan writes for the court, the immoral or scandalous bar is substantially overbroad. There are great many immoral and scandalous ideas in the world, even more than there are swear words. And the Lanham Act covers them all. It therefore violates the First Amendment. We accordingly affirm the judgment of the Court of Appeals. So, Brunetti wins. He can register F-U-C-T as a trademark with the PTO, Patent and Trademark Office. Now, one of the dissents mentions that the Trademark Office can now expect a deluge of new requests for trademarks registering otherwise immoral and scandalous words. And it's no doubt. I imagine they will. So if you have any ideas that are scandalous or immoral and you want to trademark them, now's the time to do it. I'm DK Williams and this has been The Law, Episode 43, Yansu versus Brunetti, the F-U-C-T trademark case. We're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com and keep an eye open for an announcement concerning the law with me, D.K. Williams, and Speakeasy Ideas. And visit speakeasyideas.com. Check them out. Let me know what you think. Give me some comments. Twitter at bluecarp, facebook.com slash bluecarp, and the Facebook page for this podcast. Like it, rate it, give me some feedback, whatever you want to do. And the Facebook page is just type in The Law with D.K. Williams. It should pop up. And if you like, you can donate at paypal.me slash the law. D.K. Williams. And as Zach De La Roca would say, heck no, I won't do what you tell me. And he might say it wearing an F.U.C. t-shirt. Freedom is dangerous, my friends. Live dangerously.